listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 358. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and with me is my co-host Pontus Bergmann. Hallo! Hey son, hey son. We don't have Anders today. Yeah, yeah. No. He's um he tried, but he's he's, gone. he's <laughs> yeah, well he's flying somewhere, I believe. Yes. I, I don't know exactly the details, mm -hmm. but he, he is uh he has a job, so <laughs> <laughs> he's working people. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, Merry Christmas everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Did, did you have a good one, Annika? Oh yeah, like it was it was rainy. <laughs> mm -hmm. No mm -hmm. snow anymore, mm -hmm. but it was nice. It was really nice to spend time with family, and yeah, it was really cool. And and Luna's birthday was yesterday, so we Ooh. had like four days of partying basically. <laughs> so you you will always have that now, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, and she was so drunk on presents, almost. She was like, yeah, 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 more presents. <laughs> oh God, oh God, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> she's get, she's. Getting the impression that this is what a normal week looks like now. Yeah, continuous, continuous presence every day. <laughs> <laughs> a stream of presence. <laughs> all right. I, I think I don't want to bring down the mood, but... Uh, you should. All, all Christmas <laughs> celebrations aside, I just want to mention a few things about Ukraine and Russia's, especially about Russia's bad part in Ukraine, just because it's a follow-up of what something we talked about before. People may remember that um, we mentioned a guy called Dmitry Rogozin at mm -hmm. one point because he was acting crazy as head of Roscosmos. So this is more this was that was more about the space industry and the space endeavors of, of Russia. He was threatening at one point to leave the American astronauts stranded on the ISS. <laughs> Then he was probably behind the, the waving of the flags that we talked about, the, the mm -hmm. so-called new states of Donetsk and Luhansk, the f newly created flags that the cosmonauts were wa waving from uh, ISS. And then he also said that the Russian Satan two nuclear missiles, uh, just a name, huh, were a present for NATO, quote-unquote. <laughs> so he, he was removed. This was in early summer, I believe. He was removed by Putin. But then we speculated that it was not because he was acting crazy, but because uh, Putin wanted uh, Rogozin in Ukraine instead. And uh, it seems like we were right in that, because I, as far as I know, he wasn't given an, a formal position. If so, I, I'm just not uh, informed. But Yeah, maybe behind the scenes, like not an unofficial position. Yeah, well, it wasn't public, very, very mm. public anyway. Yeah. But what we do know is that uh, on the week before Christmas, it was reported that he had been injured in Ukraine. N not badly, I think, but uh, no further information that. So the point was there, yes, he was sent to Ukraine for, for being a crazy person doing Putin's crazy things. And uh, apparently he got in the way of uh, some sort of attack and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, I think. <laughs> and uh, speaking of the war... It is a war, right? And uh, Putin yeah. has, from the start, been very adamant that you, it's not a war. You can't call it a war. It's a special military operation. But wouldn't you know it? Last week, again, Putin himself accidentally said the quiet part out loud when he said, quote, 
Our goal is not to spin this flywheel of a military conflict, but, on the contrary, to end this war, end quote. Oops! He said Oopsie. war! He Oopsie said daisy. war! <laughs> so I guess he has to go to jail now, because it's, uh, I think it's treasonous to say war instead of special Oopsie operation. Daisy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> good mm-hmm. job then. So we're looking forward to seeing... Yeah. Putin going to jail and somebody more sensible taking over. Yeah, pl- please don't take this into another yeah fight that is longer than, than a year or, or so. Like That would be my biggest wish, I think, to mm. have it stop soon. But yeah, if you're like a special operation mongera, then that's not really happening. Yeah. No, uh, I'm afraid uh, it doesn't look like this madness will stop anytime soon. Anytime soon, yeah. No. So... <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true, Pontus. So I think from from current events, why don't we go over to find out if we have something to talk about for this week in skeptical history, or also called Twish? Yes. So in Andras's absence, I found a little interesting Twish for you. The death of Vlad the Impaler. Ooh. I, I don't have an exact date for it, actually, because uh, that's how history works, sometimes <laughs> at least. It was either very, very late in December or possibly in the first week of January. And we're talking about 1476 or possibly January 1477. So let's mm-hmm. call it December so I can talk about this. Most people associate Vlad the Impaler with Count Dracula. And there is a connection, although it is much looser than a lot of people think. Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad III, was a medieval warlord who was infamous for his cruelty. He had a rough career, um, and he shared that rough times with the region as such. Uh, The region we're talking about is Transylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least that's what we think of. But actually, his title was Vlad III of Wallachia. So Mm. he was Vlad III of Wallachia. Wallachia is just south of Transylvania. And together with Transylvania and Moldavia, it constitutes uh, roughly what is now modern-day Romania. So we're talking Mm -hmm. about Romania, different parts of it. German even have have a name for Wallachia, Wallachai. Okay, Uh, maybe there's one in Swedish as well, and I just didn't know. So, but, but lots of people were there fighting. We had the Turks, we had the Magyars from Hungary. Hello, Andras. Uh, we had the Austrians, <laughs> some Germans, and uh, mm-hmm. I think the Russians were there as well. And they were, there was a lot of fighting. All had hands in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Vlad was uh, very much part of these wars, and he became known in his lifetime as the quote-unquote impaler because of his fondness of having his enemies killed by having a stake driven through them. And here I must do a little pun. It's important distinction when I say steak. It's a wooden pole rather than a piece of meat. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, it wouldn't have been so cruel. Uh, Vlad III sometimes went by and even signed letters by the name Dragulia. So now we're getting closer to Dracula, right? Mm -hmm. And he took that name after his father, Vlad II, who was known as Vlad Dracul or Vlad the Dragon. So uh, Dracula has to do with dragons somehow. Is he like the young dragon or little dragon? It could could be a little dragon or maybe of the dragon. I Mm -hmm. I don't know, depending on how the the language works. Mm. Uh, Maybe our listeners can enlighten us how that works. 
So, although uh, our buddy Vlad III was a mean bastard, the link to vampires didn't happen until 1897. That's 400 years later. So he was probably not a a, a vampire in real life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Time witnesses. (laughs) Yeah. And this, of course, 1897 was, of course, when Bram Stoker published his very famous novel called Dracula. Uh, But it should be noted that in the early drafts of this novel, Mm -hmm. Count Dracula of the book was known as Count Vampire. And uh, only in the later writing process, Stoker changed the name to Dracula, probably because it sounded cool. And some say that he believed that Dracula meant the devil in Romanian, which it doesn't. So it's a rather tenuous link between uh, Vlad III and, uh, and vampires, really. It was just a cool name. And he ended up in a book. Okay, so far, so good. So there we have... Uh, debunked one myth and that is that the real Dracula was a vampire of course there are no vampires but this was a very much later construct but there's another reason that I wanted to bring this up there are at least two letters still in existence that was written by the real Vlad III and that's pretty cool and you can actually see uh, them online and he has one at least one of them I've seen online he has actually signed it with what I can... It's hard to, to tell the handwriting, but it looks mm-hmm. to me like it says Vladislaus Dragula. So he, he did actually use the name in writing. Mm-hmm. But apparently there are some developments regarding these letters because two Israeli self-proclaimed quote-unquote researchers and two Italian academics have received permission to analyze these letters. And what they have done, although the results are not quite ready yet, what they're going to do or trying to do is to identify proteins from these letters with what they call, quote-unquote, chemical history. It's some, they don't go into detail on how this works, but it's something about a plastic thing. It's non-destructive, so they're not destroying any parts of these letters. They, but they basically lift some molecules off the letters, and they argue that all material handled by a person leaves proteins as residue on these letters, in this case. And analyzing these proteins will give you, or could give you, information about the person in question, Specifically, they say about if the person had any diseases. And here's where we get into the pseudoscience here. And I don't know anything about this technique, but I'm just going to look at the logic of this. I think they are full of it. They, they, are, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it's not like there's no plausibility at all. But the way they express it is, sounds very dodgy. First of all, they say that they go for protein rather than DNA because contrary to DNA, proteins can quote-unquote last for millions of years, end quote. And maybe that's true, but we're not talking about (laughs) millions of years. We're talking about 500 years or so. So I think DNA would work as well in this case. Mm -hmm. But okay, fine, they go for protein, okay. Then they say further, quote, In fact, these documents have rarely been touched since the 15th century, according to the preliminary results of the tests, end quote. But that is actually some sort of circular reasoning. They say that they can trust that the tests are working because that's what the tests are telling them. <laughs> so the tests themselves validate the idea that you could use the tests, okay? Mm, this is where it gets really mm-hmm. dodgy. 
Then they are saying that they are specifically looking for diseases that they know that Vlad III had. In fact, they say that they did their research in advance, before they did the biological analysis, they did their research so that they knew what to look for. That's also biased. <laughs> exactly, that's the opposite of what you should do, mm -hmm. right? So they do the conclusion before they do the analysis, and then they just only use the analysis to confirm what they've already concluded. So Surprise! Th that is not how you do science, people. And then, what kind of diseases are they looking for? Well, they say that in Bram Stoker's Dracula, it is mentioned again and again that Dracula suffers from red eyes. So they are looking for signs of uh, something called hemolacria, which is a condition where you have blood in your eyes. And you can actually cry blood. It's probably very rare, but uh, it is apparently a thing. So that's what they're looking for. But that is from the book. The book that was <laughs> written about a fictional character 400 years later about a persona who had only had a name in common with the real Vlad III who wrote the letters. So what gothic fiction is not actual science Pontus what <laughs> well I hope it's I hope they're correct because it's cool and all but uh, it's a, a fun story but I think it also shows that even though I do not know anything about this technique I don't know anything about hemolacria I don't any I don't know anything about anything in this but as a, a skeptic I can find real holes in their logic, which makes me say, mm, no, you're, you're probably not doing the, it the right way. At least the Israeli guys, they are not even scientists. They have been described as, quote unquote, entrepreneurs. So I think they are just uh, happy-go-lucky amateurs mm -hmm. and they've stumbled on yes. across something and then they're getting attention for, from the papers and it's probably a lot of fun for them. But uh, not science, not mm -hmm. science. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I always get reminded of when we talk about Dracula or uh, vampires is the real-life vampires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we talked about on the We've show before, too. We've talked about that. That's, yes. more, that's more plausible than, the, than yes, this story, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And because it, is, it, it can be explained like, uh, very well by, for example, complex PTSD. Mm. So, yeah, but, but more about that whenever we have Lydia Benica on the show, <laughs> she will very likely talk about that because right, right. I'm not the expert in that in here. But yeah, it's a very interesting phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. So in the meanwhile, we are just uh, remembering the death of Vlad III, the Impaler, also known as Dragula, at the very end of December 1476. Happy death day. <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> or something, yes. Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. And that only leaves us to check out if there's something you want to poke the Pope for. Yes, I'll have to do a lot of work here today because yeah. Sandash is not here. But <laughs> You're uh, a working horse today. <laughs> yeah, but this is, this is my real subject, right? Pontus pokes the Pope. Yes. So we're going back in history this time as well. Not as far, though. We're going back to 7th of May, 1983. So that's not 400 years ago, but more like 40 years ago. On this day, a 15-year-old girl called Mirella Gregori disappeared from her home in Rome after having received a mysterious phone call. And about six weeks later, on the 22nd of June, 1983, another 15-year-old girl living in the Vatican, Emanuela Orlandi, 
never made it back home from music school. And we don't know what happened to her. She was reportedly last seen getting into a large dark BMW outside the school. Both of these disappearances have been linked to the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II, which happened two years earlier. Then there was a third disappearance of a woman. She was called Simonetta Cesaroni, and that was also in Rome. It was in 1990. And this one is also unsolved, and one of the leads, uh, well, one of the leads that has been suggested anyway, is that uh, there were links to the Vatican via a mafia-like organization called the Magliana Gang, or Banda della Magliana. I hope my Italian, fake Italian (laughs) is working. I can't judge that, but uh, sure. No, me neither, so. (laughs) I'm very sure it was good. (laughs) So... Especially the second of these three disappearances, the Orlandi case, has triggered a lot of speculation and interest over the years. The Vatican has denied any knowledge of any of the cases, and they have been criticized for not putting enough efforts into solving the whole thing. So what happened now last week was that there was a proposal put forward in the Italian Senate to appoint a, quote, parliamentary commission of inquiry, end quote, to get to the bottom of all this. So now it's getting to the Senate of the Italian... I mean, let's face it, Vatican is a separate country of sorts, but they're in the middle of Italy. So Italy has a lot to say about what's going on there. So they are now probably going to be this parliamentary commission of inquiry. And what is that? That is something that's, that's something that the Senate can do, apparently. It doesn't replace police investigations, but participating members of the Italian parliament have the same powers and limitations as normal law enforcement has. Pietro Orlandi, who is the brother of Emanuela Orlandi, the missing Vatican girl, has tried to get the Vatican to reveal all they know about the case for, for decades now. And he says that he believes that the Holy See is hiding information in the case because it might implicate high-ranking Vatican officials. So here we have a mystery for, or a problem, one more problem for for Francis to to look into and deal with somehow. His normal tactics is not to talk about any of that, uh, any of problems, but just to delegate that to lower officials. We'll see what happens here. But uh, Pietro Landi uh, finished by saying, uh, It is now understood that it is not the affair of a Vatican citizen, but a black hole in Italian history in which the Vatican, the Magliana gang and the big secret services are involved. End quote. We will see if he is correct in this, but uh, there are mysteries in the Vatican and we will see how Francis can deal with that going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, because that there are very good, not very good, but like very well explainable reasons for for children or young women uh, disappearing, and I mean it's it's important that you look after it, and then I'll be also be interested in how how that turns out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now the risk is that the Vatican has tried to keep it all quiet because very even likely, if they're yeah. not. They may not be directly involved or responsible, but it's bad PR, so they're trying mm-hmm. to hush it up. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Pontus, mm-hmm. for poking the Pope. Thank you. I think that means we should go to our news items. Yes, 
And I'm just giving you a, a little update. It's also not completely surprising <laughs> <laughs> because there's an investigation report out and that says there's no evidence of organized satanic ritual abuse in the Netherlands. As I said, whoa, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as I said, there's a new investigation out. It was a 20-month investigation. They found no evidence whatsoever of organized satanic ritual abuse in the Netherlands. It was announced by the Ministry of Justice and Security on December 21st. It's a report that is 125 pages long. The committee even included scientists like uh, Professor Jan Hendricks, Dr. Anne-Marie Slotboom and Professor uh, Trudy Moren. I hope I pronounced that correct. Otherwise, <laughs> you know what to do. You know, know what, what to, to do. do, people. Send us your uh, pronunciations yes. and we'll play them on the next episode. Exactly. You, mm. know, you know the drill now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and this commission called the Hendricks Commission had been appointed by the parliament after two journalists had spoken about research of satanic ritual abuse. They actually, like, they acknowledged the testimonies of the witnesses in the radio show, but could conclude that there is no evidence for the existence of the networks of satanic abusers. Mm. Even Pepin van Erp, that we know, yep. that yep. skeptic, he reports that the results are not surprising, as I also said before. It just corresponds to what criminologists and other experts have been saying for, for a long time. It doesn't exist. Hmm. What does exist is the trauma of the people, like people that are talking about ritual abuse and say that they're the victims. Yes, they are traumatized. They are usually, of, I don't want to say usually, but they're often victims of sexual abuse, of emotional trauma in their childhood. The trauma they feel is real, but it hasn't been done by a network of ritual Satanists mm. that have a yeah have a network and, and everything, you know. Mm. Well, unless they have been a victim of somebody who planted a false memory in them, and we know that it's very very that's easy very, to do that. So it, they may not even have been abused at all, but they think they have because they have been... Yeah, yeah we, we've talked about this yeah, before. Yeah. Elizabeth Loftus proved that a mm -hmm. long time ago, that exactly. it's very, very easy to make people believe that mm -hmm. they have a memory from when their early childhood, which yeah, is just exactly. being invented by the and person. And that's why it's so... So easy and also, but at the same time, hard to to get satanic panic out mm. of Europe. Apparently, um, yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I keep on banging that drum, because um, it's still a big problem. And I, I, I want to refer to Lydia Benneke, of course, again, <laughs> because yeah. she's she's doing a lot of work around that too. Because in Germany, we, we still have a big problem with uh, satanic panic, mm. which, and I want to repeat that, criminal satanic ritual abuse networks don't exist no not they don't they don't yeah <laughs> so yeah that was that no big surprise mm -hmm. but it doesn't hurt to reiterate that mm -hmm. i never get tired to criticize ritual satanic abuse <laughs> <laughs> all right totally different subject we have talked about the nobel prizes this year and i've talked uh, especially about the uh, svante pebu and uh, his did, prize yeah. in physiology or medicine And he got that for his, quote, discoveries concerning the genomes of extinct hominins and human evolution, end quote. So he has in his lifetime developed techniques for analyzing DNA from very old samples. Not, not proteins from letters. This is real DNA <laughs> <laughs> science. And he has managed to minimize contamination and done a lot of things to perfect or improve the methodology 
so so we can do a lot of things now that could wasn't possible before. His main achievement or discovery that was that he identified a new species of humankind, the Denisovans, from mm-hmm. extracting DNA from just one finger bone, and he could demonstrate that that DNA was different enough that it couldn't be classified as Neanderthal, as it was thought to be to begin mm-hmm. with. So because of that, we now know that not only were the two species different, but they also interbred with each other, which you could also see from other samples, and not just with each other, but also with us, with modern humans. And in a way, it has been said that the Neanderthals and Denisovans didn't become extinct by violence, but through sex, <laughs> which is an interesting way of looking at it. So Svante Pebe really <laughs> deserves the Nobel Prize because we know so much more now about our ancestry than we did before. But the strange thing is that recently he has been criticized and attacked by some Swedish colleagues of his and uh, with very strange arguments as well. So first of all, they have made a big thing of um, that he didn't do all of this work himself. He had a team of assistants and people around him working with him. Well, yeah, that's how science works. You, you have somebody who leads a, a team of scientists and, and they work together. And usually you don't split the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. uh, over yeah. 12 people or so, or, or 15 or how many they are. You give it to one or two of the lead scientists. So, so that's, that's a very strange criticism of him. Well, you didn't do all the work yourself. No, but nobody well, does Well, no that. one does. No, yeah. no, that's normal. That's normal. <laughs> The other point that they have criticized is even more obscure. He has been accused of having, quote-unquote, created the Denisovans, not discovering them. Because, quote, the Denisovans would not have identified themselves as Denisovans, end quote. No, of course they wouldn't. Why would why, why would they come up with that name and why would they have done that? If I ever meet one, they will just introduce them, themselves with that. Yeah, and if they did or didn't doesn't matter because they were not they didn't have access to the information about their own DNA like we have now so we can see that they were different and if whether or not they realized it first of all we don't know and second of all it's totally off point it doesn't have anything to do with anything so that's a very strange argument and then the third argument that's been put forward against Vantapebo is that scientific conclusions sometimes change. And maybe in the future we will refine our view on Neanderthals, Denisovans and modern humans again. So, well, of course we will. That's how science works. Mm-hmm. We, we will most likely find out more about this and we may modify some of the things... But it doesn't mean that Pebo's discoveries hasn't been very instrumental in deepening our understanding about the history of, of uh, human evolution. Still a good step forward in mm-hmm. science. Yeah. So this is all very strange. And I'm also happy to see that this criticism has received a lot of pushback from others in the scientific community saying, mm-hmm. guys, come on, what are you doing? This it's is bizarre. very strange. <laughs> And, and nobody said this, but I'm saying it. It, it sounds like people are a bit jealous of, of his <laughs> the, all yeah. the attention that Svante Pebo suddenly got. Well, I had the I had the thought, yes. <laughs> but he was sort of uh, famous, at least in Sweden before, and I'm sure in scientific circles he mm-hmm. was known as well. Yeah, I had heard his name many times before he got yeah. the, the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the name wasn't new for me either, and I'm neither in scientific nor in there Swedish cycles. So. <laughs> there you go. 
exactly. Yeah, I just actually want to talk about recycling because we all want to live in a planet that is not burning. And I just thought like after Christmas is before Christmas, isn't it? So <laughs> <laughs> Before next Christmas or what do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Okay. But it's also like I think we're all probably all still dealing with the aftermath of Christmas. Um, mm. So I just got four recycling and waste tips for Christmas, but it also works for other holidays like Christian holidays like Easter or Thanksgiving or whatever you celebrate, both birthdays, New Year's Eve, <laughs> it works for all of that. Okay. So the first one is you should know your wrapping paper and um, packaging. So like don't waste too much by packing it with like huge wastes of paper. Mm -hmm. But also you should make sure that you can recycle it. Um, there's a simple test that you can do to find out if it's recyclable, your wrapping paper, and that is crumple it into a ball. And if it stays ball-shaped, it can be recycled. And if it springs back, it contains plastic and can't okay. be recycled. So this right. is our ESP prophecy here. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be recycled. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but that means if it's if it's plastic, of course they they won't recycle that. They can't take that into put that back into into recycled paper. Also, you should remove sticky tape, ribbons, bows, everything else from the paper. Otherwise, it also can't get recycled like that. Mm -hmm. What my granny sometimes does is uh, she kept, keeps the paper. She very carefully opens packages. Yeah. Um, and then keeps the paper, actually irons it, and then uses it again. Yeah, I've had relatives like that, yes. Yes, and that's of course really cool, but that's something I can't do with, with Luna, with, with uh, eager hands to open presents. If they crumble into little balls, you find out very soon with Luna, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> something else I read, not in the article I'm, I'm referring to, I'm, I'm using for that, but... Um, something i encountered is some people also have uh, little bags are made out of cloth that they just use for uh, presents again and again and after christmas they wash them and and use them for next christmas again which is like that's really cool and really smart of course it's it still hides the present but it takes a bit away of like the unwrapping mm. but if you look at the amount of paper like only like the three scotty luna and i uh, the three of us threw away after birthdays and christmas it's like it, it is massive but but then i think you have to take into consideration how much energy went into creating that little bag of if it's a cloth bag or whatever compared yes. to the paper because you could probably calculate how many times you have to reuse it before you break even and if so if you're yeah. just going to use it once or twice then then it's not a good idea mm -hmm. i think Yeah, exactly. You ha you'll have to use it probably a decade <laughs> or more. Just, just <laughs> probably, an idea. Yeah. Lots of presents. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Lots of presents. <laughs> But it's still a cool idea. Yeah. Then what's also important and what also happens a lot is that we throw away food after Christmas. We were actually happy that we had Luna's birthday yesterday because we had so many leftovers <laughs> from Christmas. She will <laughs> always only get leftovers on her birthday, right? <laughs> no, we, we will make sure to actually bake her birthday cake next year. <laughs> this year we were just like, here, this is from Christmas. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's for example, maybe freezing meat that you don't want to eat right after Christmas is important because then you don't have to throw it out after three to four days. Hmm. Christmas pudding keeps up for two weeks, for example, being refrigerated. Not in my home, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> We finish it faster than that. Yes, yes, yes. 
the funny thing is what, what we uh, buy too much of at Christmas are funnily enough things that hold really easily that you don't have to freeze and that is biscuits, chocolate, alcohol and vegetables. And for like biscuits, chocolate and alcohol that usually doesn't spoil that easily. So yeah, I think it's it's just important to, to deal with food as quickly as you can, maybe freeze what you can to not having to throw it out. And it comes basically comes down to buy less. Buy less, cook less. <laughs> right, that's true. Uh, second to last tip is like, what about the tree? The tree? Yeah, okay. exactly. Best thing is actually still have a tree that has roots because then you can replant it if that works. Mm, how does that work? Bringing in, uh, you dig up a full tree and with the yes. roots and put you it put in it, your... You have a pot, you water it and everything. And you That's keep, a big keep... pot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a, a small yeah, tree. Yeah, it's a big perhaps. tree. Yeah, small tree or big pot, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, you can keep a tree like that indoors for about t- 12 days. Mm-hmm. Not much longer because otherwise they, will, they would suffer too much. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, the, the second choice would be a tree that doesn't have roots anymore. I think that's a classic one, mm-hmm. um, which can be recycled and put into um, wood chips or composted. But of course, really important, get the tinsel and the baubles off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because you can't burn tinsel or baubles. Or you can, but they stink. <laughs> They're not really recyclable and t- turn into wood chip. They compost don't, don't, not well. Artificial trees, of course, can't be recycled. It means you don't have to kill a tree, yes, but they have a horrific footprint. So, right. so again, you have to use it for many, many years. Yes, yes. It... So like Scotty yeah. and I, for example, we have an artificial tree and we, we're using it for the third year now. Mm-hmm. And we're, we will try to use it for at least until Luna is 20. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a so for, good for ambition. So for a long, long time, yes. <laughs> so... That's that's basically like the tree just never gets good, so to say. But it is important. I recognize that we have a tree, so yeah, it, it is an important thing, and that's that's all you can do basically. And what is more important for British people, I think, than for example for German people, I don't know how it is in Sweden. Do you use Christmas crackers or Christmas bonbons no, as they call much, them in no. Australia? No, not, I don't think we <laughs> mm-hmm. do. Not in our family, and I don't think a lot of yeah. other people do it either. Mm-hmm. It's like we, I wanted to this year, but <laughs> I was actually thinking of taking some from Australia. But oh. my father-in-law was like, no, don't do it. They contain a tiny bit of dynamite. <laughs> so okay. don't take it in a plane. If there's any dog sniffing, oh. then uh, you will get into trouble. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true. I didn't fact check that, but I can imagine that's the case it. because it does make a little boom when you when you open it. Mm-hmm. And which is what's problematic about them is they that 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 it's usually cardboard and plastic. They contain glitter and small plastic knickknacks, mm. and then like this beloved little uh, joke <laughs> in there. Yeah. So the problem is where to send the rubbish of that because but- you don't want to send all the plastic. Like you can't send the plastic in the in the paper. Party hats in the crackers usually are also not suitable for recycling because they have very long fibers, so they're not like paper, they're more like tissue fabric. So Mm. they make a lot of work, so to say. What you can do to make Christmas crackers or Christmas bonbons, to include the Australians, (laughs) Mm. a bit more recyclable is buy recyclable Christmas crackers with gifts that will last or 
you can even craft your own. For example, with toilet paper rolls and with just like plain paper. Of course, you won't have little explosions then with a bit of gunpowder. <laughs> But you can even buy the gunpowder strips on Amazon, I checked. <laughs> so, and making it yourself also gives you the joy of selecting the dad jokes before. So <laughs> <laughs> That's very appealing to me, I think. So I know that was a long item, but I'm a bit passionate about recycling. <laughs> so there you go. Now you're well prepared for next year's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. Okay, so to round off the news segment, I have a news item that has not received enough attention, I believe. And I mm -hmm. think Andras would appreciate this one too. Oh, yes, you will. We know all that ESA, the European Space Agency, is very capable and has sent uh, numerous satellites into space. We have, of course, uh, NASA, Russia, China and Japan to compete with. To compete with. But ESA is very much up there and in certain specific aspects, ESA is in the lead in space technology. Not overall, but in certain areas. But when it comes to actually launching rockets... ESA has relied on what is officially called, quote, Europe's spaceport, end quote, which is not at all near Europe. <laughs> the famous Ariane rockets have been launched from this place, and it is in French Guiana, north of Brazil in South America. And that may now change in the future, because on the 13th of January next year, the Swedish king, Karl VI de Gustav, Karl XVI Gustav, He will inaugurate Spaceport S-Range in the very north of Sweden, which will be an additional launch pad for European satellites. A smaller S-Range launch facility has been located there since the late 60s, but with this new facility, they have improved capacity and the SSC, or Swedish Space Corporation, will be able to do... I don't know if they will do the biggest version of the Ariane rockets, but they will send up satellites into orbit. They will also use it for uh, the EU's reusable rocket tests. They have a project about that. And the first satellite to launch from Swedish soil is scheduled for the end of next year, 2023. Inauguration on the 13th of January. It will not just be the king, but also Ursula von der, von der Leyen. <laughs> yeah. Can you pronounce that better than I did? Ursula von der Leyen. <laughs> that's, the, that's the lady. She is, of course, president of the European Commission. And also the Swedish prime minister, Ulf Kristersson, will be there. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Go space exploration. Yeah. <laughs> And I actually have a question, Pontus, for you there. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very minor. But mm -hmm. the way you pronounce the king, mm -hmm. I was just wondering, because I know that from Gustavus Adolphus, or Gustavus II Adolphus from the 30 Years War, yeah. is that in German we usually say the whole name and then the number. Yeah. And there, and, and also how you pronounce it, is like first name, number, second name, or other name. Uh, I was just wondering, is that a, a Swedish thing? It is, it is in a way. Normally, if you look back over the years, uh, hundreds of years, the Swedish kings have had one name only. And you say the name and then the number, and that's it. A couple of them have two names. 
So Carl the 16th Gustav, we say that because he's Carl the 16th. Mm-hmm. Previous guy who was called Carl was Carl the 15th. So this mm-hmm. is Carl the 16th. But he has an extra name at the end, Gustav, which have been uh, used by other kings in mm-hmm. the past. I don't know why, but a, a few of our kings have had that. We have mm-hmm. uh, Gustav the Second Adolf. Adolf doesn't work very well nowadays after certain nah, nah. people. <laughs> but this <laughs> yeah, was but, way back. Mm-hmm. It was in the 1600s. Yeah, so that but was I, get, okay. I get the problem because he probably mm. would be Carl Gustav the first, but he wouldn't be the first Carl. So he right. So I get the problem. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So sort of a mathematical problem for, for kings. <laughs> <laughs> so he, so our current king again is Carl the 16th Gustav. Because he has an extra Gustav at the end, just for for show. (laughs) Yeah, and they will have a launch pad. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you for that. Educating Annika's and podcast listeners (laughs) 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 on the go (laughs) in one stroke. And that was all for the news, which means we should find out who has been really right or wrong lately. And... This week, people just behaved Christmassy (laughs) in all regards. (laughs) So I just wanted to give out a positive award this week. Mm -hmm. Um, And this award is to our listeners and especially our patrons and people that send us money on PayPal. You know who you are, <laughs> uh, Jan, for example, but other people too. Mm. You're supporting us, you're listening to us, you send us Christmas money, uh, monthly payments, you're enabling us to travel the world, basically. We went through three destinations this year and you, you financed that for three people. You're keeping us going. We couldn't do what we're doing without you. So thank you to our Patreons and our PayPalists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. And uh, it, it enables us also to meet you guys. Exactly. We hadn't been able to go to QED, to Vienna. And uh, I, we shouldn't forget the Australians paid for the most yes. part of yes. our Australian tour. But mm-hmm. it, it all helps. And it's so lovely to meet uh, mm-hmm. all the listeners. And we also don't have to be anxious if, for example, my microphone breaks also, mm. you know. Right. It just feels good to be covered and to be held <laughs> by by our network of listeners, so to say. Mm. Yeah, as, as I said, we couldn't do what we're doing without you. So for being awesome and for continuously supporting us, our listeners and especially our patrons and PayPal people, receive this week's prize for being really right. (laughs) That is well deserved. (laughs) (laughs) And that concludes our show. Thank you, Pontus, for being here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for sticking with us this year. Have a good New Year's. Have a good, einen guten Rutsch, as we say in German, a good slide over. (laughs) Okay, very good. Um, I almost understood that. Yeah. Have a good time. Uh, We'll see you next year. Of course, I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And it's a very New Year's Eve one from Søren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher. We talked at length about him in another episode. He was born 1813 and died 1855. And he says, quote, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. 
Oh, and, that's a very <laughs> fitting quote for uh, looking Isn't into it? the next year. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> so without further ado, um, I will let you go. Thank you very much and goodbye. Hey, do. Tschüss. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yeah. Sorry, I just had to drink out of my ESP cups. <laughs> <laughs> I have my uh, New Zealand cup. Oh, very good. That's cool. I want <laughs> one of that too. Two Israeli Israeli two <laughs> Israeli self-proclaimed quote unquote <laughs> I'll try again. <laughs> <laughs>